Matthew 16, verse 13, when Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples saying, whom do men say that I, the son of man, am? And they said, some say thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said unto them, but whom say ye that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood have not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say also unto thee, Thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, tonight, thank you for this good church. Thank you for our pastor. Thank you tonight for the victories of the morning. And while we are grateful for all that's been done today, Lord, we stand before you tonight. We need your help. You said in your word, if we being evil and know how to give good gifts unto our children, how much more would our Heavenly Father give unto us the Holy Ghost if we only ask? God, I'm asking you again. Please fill us with your power. Please fill me with your spirit and bless our pastor and this dear church. And Lord, tonight I pray if there's someone here that does not know you as their Savior, that tonight they would give their heart to you. And Lord, we ask this, claiming the blood of Jesus Christ and your mercy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, and you may be seated. One of the most successful commercials in history was in 1971, promoting none other than the sale of Coca-Cola. The iconic commercial was launched with a song and the lyrics, perhaps you may remember. I'd like to buy the world a Coke. How many of you can remember that commercial? Some of you have no clue what's going on. But... It said, I'd like to buy the world a Coke, and it ended with a repeating phrase. Do you remember? It's the real thing. It's the real thing. Now, today, their marketing success boasts of almost 1.9 billion servings of Coca-Cola every day. Every day. Brother Portillo, you know as well as I that any mission field you go to, one of the first things you're going to know and recognize is a Coca-Cola sign. There ever, ever mission field I've ever gone to. Well, this morning I was thinking about this, and perhaps you might agree, from a secular perspective, one might conclude that Jesus should have given Coca-Cola the Great Commission instead of the church. But of course he didn't. He gave the Great Commission to the New Testament local church. He gave it to you and I. He gave it to us. And while we do not market the gospel, we have been commanded 
to preach the gospel to every creature. And to do it, we're to do it to the uttermost part of the earth. Tonight, I have transitioned into a new ministry, and that ministry is one of being a pastor and missionary to pastors and church planters. Some would question what is the motive of that, because I am convinced tonight that if America has ever needed Bible-believing New Testament churches, it's today. I want to give to you, first of all, in the lesson, and I know it's a little bit odd in a missions presentation to have a note sheet. But when, I'm, when it's all done and this pulpit lies silent after the service, I pray that you'll take these thoughts home and think about them and then be able to understand better what God has called us and every church to be found faithful in doing. Let me give you, first of all, the crisis and consider eight reasons that we need to plant new churches in America. I would submit, first of all, because church planting is biblical and is all about preaching the gospel. We're not about growing more churches just to grow them. But it was Jesus that said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Not long ago, my wife and I were able to be in Israel and I remember being there at the Mount of Olives and seeing for the very first time that place where Jesus gave that commission. Deal Moody said that in that same place, in his mind's eye, he could see the Lord giving the commission to those disciples to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He said as he gave that commission, he said, you're to start in Jerusalem and then Judea and then in Samaria and then to the uttermost part of the earth. And he said he could imagine that one of the disciples, and it was probably Peter that raised his hand and said, Lord, are are you saying you want us to go back to Jerusalem where they crucified you to go back and tell that crowd They could get saved. To go find the man that spit in your face and plucked out that beard. To go back and tell him that he could be saved. And go back and find the man that put the reed in your hand and smote you on the face and mocked you and called you the king of the Jews. Go back and find the man that platted the crown of thorns and pressed it on your brow and tell him he could be saved. Go back and tell the man that thrust the spear into your side and tell him he could be saved. Moody said in his mind's eye, he could imagine Jesus smiling at Peter and said to Peter, Yes, Peter, go find the man that spit in my face and plucked out my beard and tell him if he'll believe on me that he could be saved and he could have a home in heaven. Go find the man that took the reed and smote me in the face and mocked my name. Tell him if he'll get saved, one day he can rule the nations of this earth with me. Go find the man that platted the crown of thorns and pressed it down upon my brow. 
Go find that man and tell him that if he'll get saved, that I've got a crown for him. And it doesn't have any thorns in it. And he said, go find the man. Go find the man that thrust the spear into my side. And you tell him that there's a closer way to my heart than that. That's the Great Commission. That's what God has demanded of us in 1 Corinthians. It was Paul that said, For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved, it's the power of God. Now, why should we we plant churches? Because planting a church is biblical and it's all about preaching the gospel. What you have here in America is an anomaly. But thank God that there's a Grandview Baptist Church. Thank God that there's a church here that's preaching the gospel and propagating the gospel to go out to the uttermost part of the earth. But secondly, we should plant churches because during the past decade, on average, 4,000 churches closed each year in the United States. 4,000. If you do the math, that means that 333 churches per month close their doors. 77 per week. 11 churches close their doors today. Why do we plant churches in America? Because new churches grow faster and reach more people. My pastor told me years ago when I came to Portland, I asked him, should I take a church or should I start a church? He said, Rick, it's a lot easier to give birth than raise the dead. So take a church. Don't take a church, build a church. Why should we start a church? Because America's population is expanding at a record rate. You may not realize it, and maybe you haven't watched it, but the population of the United States has increased by 58 million people between 2000 and 2023. When we think about this, I want you to realize that this population is growing faster than we're keeping up. Notice next, because the world has come to America. We started our church, Nancy and many of you were part of the area in Rockwood, Gresham area. I met with the ecumenical ministry leader there in the area, and he told me at the time that there were 69 different nationalities in Rockwood. That's where we are. I can remember, Brother Pertil, as we, this past Easter, had the privilege of being in the service. I remember looking at the platform as I watched the children come up. There were over 100 children on the platform. And I counted there were 17 different nationalities of children on the platform. You see, America... And the world has come to America. Why should we plant churches? Because historically, Bible-believing churches in the United States have formed the greatest source of international missions endeavors. Thank God for the testimony of what we've done by his help and through his Holy Spirit. Why should we start churches? Because America 
is a true mission field. Now, wrap your head around this, if you could. Only 8.9% of America's population attends an evangelical church each weekend. Now, let me clarify that. When I say that 8.9% of Americans' population attends an evangelical church, that is not just an independent fundamental Baptist church. They're churches that you can at least hear the gospel. But they are not what you and I are used to. But when we take America and put it into this equation, only 8.9% of America's population attends an evangelical church each weekend. Take a step forward and realize that only 16.5% of America's population attends any Christian church, any Christian church. And in that survey, it included Mormons, Jehovah Witnesses, Roman Catholics, Spread it out. All I'm saying to you is America is a true mission field. By numbers, America is the third largest mission field in the world. I was in a meeting almost 40 years ago in Yakima, Washington, where I was invited to a home missions conference. Dr. Dennis Brown was the director at the time and pastor. He invited me to come. He knew we had just come to the Northwest. And I remember being in the meeting and as the protocol was, he had the different pastors, church planners and missionaries stand and he would introduce them. I can still remember as round pew by pew, they began to stand and introduce themselves. And in the far back corner to my right, There were two men that stood. They were men that introduced themselves as missionaries. They were from Australia. They announced with clear candor and urgency that they were missionaries from Australia to America. It's the first time I'd ever heard that missionaries were coming to America. But the truth is, by numbers, America is the third largest mission field in the world. The final deduction of all of this is that church planting is not an option, it's an imperative. So we must understand what God has given to us. And for 40 years, I had the privilege of being a missionary-minded church, just as this one is. But I think it's important for you to understand, why do we do what we do? Why are we doing what we're doing? Now, we've seen the crisis. Now, I'd like to share with you the cause. There's some things I'm going to share with you, and I hope that you will grasp them. And in doing so, I, I hope that you will take this home and not forget that the gospel must go from the cross through the church to the world. Would you say that with me? The gospel must go from the cross 
through the church to the world. Now, there's a reason for this understanding. And Matthew, when he gave the Great Commission, I want you to grasp this truth that just as a mother, just as a mother that has a baby in her womb knows that the life support system of that baby is the umbilical cord. If that umbilical cord becomes crimped or or knotted, then the baby will die or be severely deformed. Well, what I want you to see is that the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection, the good news of the gospel must go from the cross through the church to the world. And we must understand that the local church is the spiritual umbilical cord to the world. The church is the spiritual umbilical cord to the world. That's why he says, but ye shall receive power, and after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and the uttermost part of the earth. Now there's a third truth I want you to grasp. That in the Bible it teaches clearly that every local church is to be pastor-led, deacon-served, and congregation-supported. The Scripture says in Psalm 103 in verse 7, The Lord made His ways known unto Moses, but His acts were known and made known unto Israel. God uses leadership like God has given you here. And in a local church, the umbilical cord of the gospel to the world It's to be pastor-led, deacon-served, and congregation-supported. 1978, I surrendered my life to be a preacher of the gospel. I went to Bible college, and during 1980, Time Magazine came out with an article that said the two most unchurched states in America were Washington and Oregon. I knew that God had called me to pastor. I just wasn't sure where to go. God gave me three criteria to help me to decide and discern what God's will was for that. And first of all, I wanted to go somewhere there was a genuine need. I wanted to go somewhere that they needed churches. And I began thinking about it where I was in Jacksonville, Florida. Jacksonville had over 100 Baptist churches in the city. And they had over 2,000 churches there, and today there are over 300 Baptist churches. They didn't need another one. I wanted to go somewhere there was a genuine need. Secondly, I wanted to start a church. My pastor had shared that was, that was the way to propagate the gospel. And thirdly, I wanted to go somewhere, pastor, where I would never run out of people to win to Christ. We prayed, God led us to Portland, My wife, Regina, and at the time, our two children moved to Portland. We planted an independent Bible-believing Baptist church. And in October, this year marks 41 years, we started Greater Portland Baptist Church. God blessed, and just as he has here at Grandview in just a few years, to the glory of God, it became one of the premier Baptist churches in the Northwest Today, it's continuing strong with a a missions program supporting over 100 missionaries, a a Christian school, pastoral staff, and 
Sunday school and ministries that are reaching the community and reaching across the state and around the world. But after about 10 years, I remember I asked my pastor, what could I do as a, as a man? What is it as a pastor that I could do that could truly make a difference with my life? I wasn't in a crisis. I wasn't going through a midlife crisis. I just wanted to make sure that when my life was finished and was done, that it was for the right reasons. He said to me, and I knew what his answer would be. He said, Rick, if you want to make an eternal difference, number one, you've got to win souls. How many of you believe that? You've got to win souls. He said, number two, Rick, if you want to make a difference, you would have to write books. And maybe somebody would read them. (laughs) He said, but number three, if you want to make a difference in your life, begin now pouring your life into the lives of other men. I tried to do that. And for the last 35 years, 30 years or so, I tried to coach and mentor and encourage men. My heart was burdened for this, brother Layman, and I pray that he'll grasp your heart about it as well. When we came here, there were not nearly as many churches as there are now. There was just a handful in Portland. But I remember the thing that struck me most was not how many churches were starting, but how many preachers were leaving. They would come. They would start a church. And they, they would be here for... Uh, a year or two years, maybe three, and then you'd hear that they had left. And the word attrition is defined as the action or process of gradually reducing the strength or effectiveness of someone or something through a sustained attack or pressure. There is an unending tension that comes with a job description of a pastor. Now, I want you to know I loved pastoring. I never grew weary of pastoring. When it says, do thy diligence to know the state of thy flock and look well to thy herd, I loved pastoring. I have often admitted I, I, I was a shepherd so long, I think I smell like sheep. I loved pastoring. I never grew weary of that. But one of the things that I noticed is that in this process, there was an attrition taking place. Good men leaving. And I was working at that time, some of you were in the church, I was working on a degree. And one of the processes of getting that degree was a guided research project. And what I did was I sent out survey cards to find out what perhaps was the cause of attrition of pastors in the Northwest. I sent out those cards and there were, there were all types of reasons. Uh, some were culture shock. All you have to do is drive downtown Portland and you'll understand it is a shock for people to come from outside to come to Portland. It's an unusual uh, shock. Uh, some came with unrealistic expectations. They came from, uh, I'll just borrow from North Carolina, and they thought they could transfer 
and transplant that culture in North Carolina to the Northwest. It doesn't work. Somehow had unrealistic expectations that uh, they could build a church and they could do it within a year, maybe two years. And many churches from the South would support those pastors and they would come with the promise of support and true to their word, they supported them for a year or they supported them for two years. But after two years, many of them, after three years, they were not close to being self-supporting and the support started going away. And when that happened, they were having to become bivocational or finally turn out the lights and just go back home. They quit. Some left because, of all things, imagine this, they, they left because of the weather. I hired a man and his wife to come. Nancy would know who I'm talking about. They came, wonderful people. But after about eight months, they came to me and said, we cannot handle this. We haven't seen the sun for three months. <laughs> and they packed up and left. Some were simply not prepared for the Northwest. Their family wasn't ready. If you're going to pastor, everybody's got to be prepared. You're, the support of your wife and your children and, and even your own theological positions, you're going to be, when you come to the Northwest, you've got to know what you believe and why you believe it because there are going to be a lot of people that are going to twist your arm or get you to get in their mold and figure out what you're going to be according to their commitments and their convictions and you'll get discouraged. When it was all said and done, when men were leaving, I'm talking about preachers. I'm not talking about, I'm not talking about somebody moving from one church to the other. I'm talking about preachers. God called preachers, good men. Why are they leaving the Northwest? And, and it burdened me. And some were leaving basically through all of that unending tension. It never goes away. I, I'm not whining about it, but I hope that you'll remember every pastor, he starts off the week and uh, maybe his day off is Monday. I, I don't know when their day off is, if they even have one. I didn't even take one for a couple of years and I'm embarrassed to tell you that. But as soon as you preach your last message on Sunday, you know that Wednesday's coming. A staff meeting. You know, you got soul winning, you got all the administrative work, and then you're getting ready for Sunday school and Sunday morning and Sunday night and, and all of the visitation on Saturday, and then you get through, and then after you finish, you start all over again. You say, well, that's life. Yes, it is, but there's an unending tension in the life of a pastor and his family that most churches don't realize is taking its toll. Now, I'm, I'm speaking to you because I've been there. I'm saying to you as a church, recognize that, first of all, being tired is not a sin. <laughs> I, um, I wasn't my best moment. I remember we were driving down the road and it had been a long day and the kids were fussing. At the time, we had three kids in one seat, buckled, and it was tight. And we, you would understand this very well. And as we're driving down the road... Uh, I remember my daughter began to cry, and I said to Amy, Amy, what's wrong? She says, Rick, touch me. Now, that just put me over the edge. And I said, do what? She said, Rick, touch me. 
I said to her like this, it wasn't my best moment. I mean, James Dobson would have not liked what I said. You don't want me to pull this car over. And I remember Regina touched me on the knee and said, babe, they're just tired. It's not a sin to be tired. I've learned this. Some tired, a good night's sleep can cure. But there's some tired, even with a pastor's wife, that only a fresh breath of God and help of his spirit will have them come through it. I'm sharing with you this truth that 80% of pastors that leave the ministry never return to serve again. That's what burdened me. That's what concerned me. Here's my point. If the local church does not have a strong spiritual leader, leadership, the gospel's not going to go out. Let me review this with you. The gospel goes from the cross through the church to the world. And every church is pastor led, deacon served, congregation supported. And if the local church doesn't have sound, strong leadership, the gospel's not going to go out. And as a result of that, the churches are going to close. That's the discernment that I had. And, and here's what I discovered. Dr. Lee Robertson said it years ago, everything rises and falls on leadership. There are two facts that we must face. The first fact that I want you to realize is that there are some burdens that a person must bear themselves. Galatians 6 says, every man must bear his own burden. Men, you know what I'm talking about tonight. There are some burdens you have that no other man can carry. Taking care of your wife, taking care of your family, being responsible for your needs. Every man must bear his own burden. But what I want you to see is there are some burdens that God never intended a person to carry by themselves. Galatians says, for every man bears his burden, but it says, bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. If you have a burden, you should take it to your pastor. You should take it to your shepherd. This morning, there was a person that came to church I remember I'm a shepherd. I saw it. I walked over to this person and said to them, I'm glad you're here. My name is Rick Adams. What's yours? And she told me. And I said, I don't know you, but I am glad you came today. And she said, me too. After the service this morning, she met me in the back. And she was weeping. And I talked to her for a moment. She has some heavy things happening. But I said, what you need to do is talk to your pastor. And she said, I know. 
I know. You see, when you've got a burden, you can take it to your pastor, and that's the right thing to do. But here's what I want to do, is I want you to shift gears for a moment. When your pastor has a burden, where does he go? Now, some of your spirits are going to say, well, he ought to go to God. Well, he should. But remember, when a pastor has a burden, if he, if he were to come to his deacons and share with him, maybe he's struggling with his family. Maybe he's got children that you could finish it. You know the scenario. When those things are happening, if he goes to his deacons and he shares with the deacons these things, he may not have a job on Monday. If he's a missionary and he goes to the mission board, they may say, you need to resign. Now, what I'm saying is that this is our calling. This is what has been my passion now for 30 years to help curtail that attrition. Let me give you a principle. Maybe you've never thought of it, but do you know that every pastor has a shelf life? It's a, it's a time that comes after pastoring. That's what happened with me. I, I didn't get tired of pastoring, but God showed me clearly that that 40 years would be the end of my pastoring. And from this point forward, I would spend the rest of my life serving as a pastor, missionary to pastors and to church planners. Moses said, teach us to number our days and apply our hearts unto wisdom. Now, thinking that I have a shelf life means literally that the time that it, when I served planning a church for 40 years, when I stopped doing that, the clock for my shelf life started then. And what that means is that I knew it it wasn't hard to figure out that I didn't have as many years in front of me as I did behind me. I knew that. And my desire and feeling that God was calling me was to spend the rest of my time. Uh, I'm a type 1 diabetic. I I fought with cancer the last couple of years. And thank God he's given grace and healing. I'm cancer free. Uh, Just the reality of life that at this point, I don't know what's in front of me. But I knew that what God had called me to do was what's left of my life, my shelf life. I wanted to spend it trying to salvage men in the ministry. Our church has been handed over to a young man. His name is Scott McFeeders. He's doing a fabulous job. And I've learned something, that if you want to bear the burden of others... You must seek those that are burdened. Because it's not like you have 911 pastor and they call you. But in almost every situation, what's needed is, a, is to begin spiritual CPR on these men that are tired with their marriage, their family. Maybe their priorities are all wrong and they need to back up and, and, and to restructure where they're at. And it's not wrong to be tired. But what I'm saying as a pastor for 40 years, I've walked through that. And I'm asking you to understand that it's 
if we help the pastor, we will help the church. If we help the pastor, we will help the church. And here's my conviction. It's better to build a fence at the top of the cliff than to put an ambulance at the bottom. That's my burden. I believe that we can do something about this attrition. I believe we not only can, I believe we must. God is calling men, but Satan knows how to take them out. And what I'm challenging you with as a church is is to realize that it's better to put a fence at the top of the cliff instead of ambulances at the bottom. Let me give you some objectives of what we're doing. I partnered with Church Planning America and my good friend, Dr. Charles Shoemaker. And we're working together to to implement strategic objectives. Number one, to help turn the tide of attrition of pastors in the Northwest and beyond. Secondly, to mentor church planters as they arrive on the field. Not to just come here and just suddenly be abandoned, but to mentor them, to come alongside them. And to coach pastors and local churches in need of ministry and training and motivation. Now, I know your pastor has a wonderful philosophy of church planning, and, and the church is a powerful part of it. There's something about being in a strong New Testament church and launching from that church to go out. But not all men have that opportunity. And we've got to help them have that and to assist them in the matter of foreign and national pastors and church planning and to assist Christian education, colleges, and encouraging and training men to plan independent Baptist churches. I will tell you, there's a lot of things that whenever I got in the, the ministry, I've often said, wow, we didn't cover that in my ordination. I didn't know that was coming. But we want to help colleges to do a better job as well and to make available to pastors and churches ministry materials and lay training. Many pastors that come have a heart on fire for God, but they don't have a clue about church administration. They have no understanding of discipleship or or how to implement that discipleship. How to train deacons, how to prepare. You, You get overwhelmed and caught in the backwash of all the things you don't know and you find yourself thinking, well, maybe somebody else could do a better job than I can. And that's the lie from Satan. We want to facilitate church planning by raising funds for church planners. Now, I know that you know in the book of Acts, we're introduced to a man that modeled this ministry that I'm talking about. His name was Barnabas. Barnabas, first of all, was a godly man. The Bible says he was full of the Holy Ghost. Not only was he a godly man, he was a generous man. He sold his land and he gave it to the church. Thirdly, he he was a good man. He was a good man. Uh, He was known as the son of encouragement. 
I asked the Sunday school class this morning, have you ever been around somebody that just encouraged you? Have you been around somebody that, that maybe they just charged your batteries? Well, let me turn it around. Have you ever been around somebody that drains you? Have you ever, how many would say, how many of you would say, yes, I have known people that they drained my batteries. They didn't charge my batteries. Raise your hand. And he said, don't point at them. I'm just asking you if you know somebody like that. Well, that wasn't Barnabas. He was an encouragement. Then do you know that Barnabas was only a good man? He was a gifted man. He had a gift to bring out the best in others. But he was also a gracious man. His specialty were men that no one else believed in. Let me give you just a couple. Anybody familiar with the man by the name of Saul of Tarsus? Even the disciples didn't trust him. But it was Barnabas that went to him and took him to Antioch and spent some time with him. And it wasn't long until Saul would be known as Paul. The rest of the story, I believe, to the glory of God and to the credit of Barnabas. Maybe you might remember a man by the name of John Mark. John Mark was a young man that went on the first missionary journey, but somewhere along the way he got discouraged and he quit and he went home. And nobody really knows why. Maybe he got homesick, maybe he got tired, maybe he became overcome, he got fearful. Whatever it was, it's clear that he quit, he left. Matter of fact, when Paul and Barnabas were going to get ready to go on the second missionary journey, Barnabas said to Paul, let's take Mark with us. And Paul said, absolutely not. He's a loser. He's not going with us. And you remember in the scriptures, it says that uh, there was great contention. And Barnabas took John Mark and Paul and Silas left. Acts tells the story. But fast forward now and go to 2 Timothy chapter 4. When Paul is in the last days of his life. Some say in that Mamertine prison in Rome... He could hear them sharpening the sword that would soon sever his head from his body. He wrote to Timothy and he said to Timothy, you need to come and when you come, bring my coat and come before winter. And when you come, bring the parchments. And Timothy, when you come, bring Mark. Because he's profitable for the ministry. You say, well, what does that have to do with us tonight? Well, that loser, that John Mark, happens to be the one that wrote the second gospel in our New Testament. He wasn't a loser. He just needed somebody like a Barnabas to come alongside. And what I'm trying to say to you is God has called us to model the ministry if he would help us to be missionaries to pastors and church planners. And what I'm asking you to do is to understand that I don't have a special suitcase that has all the answers to all the problems of all the pastors that I bring it. And then when I get out, I just give them whatever they need and go on my merry way. That's not the case. But what I am saying is that many times coming alongside another pastor 
talking with them, spending time with them, helping a man and his wife, often, oftentimes a young man and his wife, sometimes seasoned men in the ministry, they're just tired. And they just need someone to coach them and to mentor them. And God has allowed me to answer that call to do that and uh, other pastors to encourage others and equip them to do the same. I thank God that when I ask them to help us, there are churches just like this one that have started to stand with me in this noble endeavor. I'm going to close with this thought. There were two brothers that worked a piece of ground, and they were very successful farmers. They were brothers that... um, One was married, had children. The other one was single, had no wife, no children. One night, the man with his wife and children said, you know, God's been so good to us. We've got all that we need. God's provided for us, but my brother doesn't have a wife. He doesn't have children. I'd like to be a blessing to him. He said, what I want to do is I want to take grain out of my bin, put it in a sack, And at night, when he doesn't know it, I'm going to sneak over into his barn and I'm going to dump it into his bin. The family said, that's a great idea. And he started doing that. He did it for several months. And one night, the brother noticed the bounty that continued to grow. And he said to himself in prayer to the Lord, God, you've been so good to me. I don't have anybody to take care of, but my brother has a wife and children. And I'd like to be a blessing to him. He said to himself, I'm going to fill a bag with grain. And I'm going to take it over to my brother's barn. And I'm going to put it in his barn. And he did that. They did it for several months. One night when there was no moon, no stars, in the stealth of darkness, they bumped into each other. And when they bumped into each other, then they realized all along what God had been doing. Church, that's what you're doing with this missionary. You're taking your love and your support and you're putting it into the bin of this man and his wife and his children. And it won't be long. You'll have the opportunity to do the same with someone else. And what we're saying to you tonight is that... Yes, we need to reach the lost, but the gospel goes from the cross through the church to the world. And every church is the umbilical cord to the world with the gospel. And if the pastor's discouraged, if the pastor quits, it doesn't take long to figure out the church is going to close. New York City, there was a church that closed had a big sign on the front said gone out of business one of the members came by and with a magic marker wrote you know we never really knew what our business was that's not the case here you know what your business is and my desire is to help pastors good men that have given it all to come to help them stay in the fight As Jesus said to Peter, Satan has desired to sift you as wheat. And my challenge to you is if we can 
recognize that the gospel goes from the cross through the church to the world. If we could help those pastors, keep them encouraged and help them when they need help, then perhaps the church, as Jesus said, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. A soldier and his best friend were in combat. They had promised each other in boot camp that they would never abandon each other. But in their very first firefight, his best friend lay wounded on the battlefield. They had to retreat back into cover, and then they realized they were separated. They had made a promise they would never abandon each other. He wanted to go back and get his friend. His sergeant said, absolutely not. His sergeant refused to let him go, and after dark, he went out without permission and slipped underneath the body of his friend, brought him back, and when he got him back, he was dead. And the sergeant was furious. He said, you're a fool. I told you if you went out there, you would get shot. You've risked your, your life for a dead man. Was it really worth it? He said, yes, sir, it was. He said, how was it worth it? He said, because the last words that he spoke, when I got there was I knew you would come. My prayer tonight that those men that are struggling in the Northwest or across this country that are trying to do what God's called them to do, that we might come alongside them and answer that call. And I'm going to ask you, will you help us? Here's my prayer request. Pray for wisdom and Holy Spirit power. Pray for God to connect us with those that need help most. Pray for traveling safety as we travel. We started in April and already we've traveled 10,000 miles driving. That's not counting what we've flown. Pray for safety. Pray for health to do the work and carry the burdens of others. I, do you remember? We all have a shelf life. I don't know how long I can do this. I'm just committing as long as God will allow me the strength and the health that I want to be faithful trying to be a help to others. For financial support and resources to minister to struggling pastors and church planners. For ministries to be salvaged and most of all for souls to be saved. Finally tonight, if you're unsaved, the gospel starts with you. That's what this missions meeting is about. You know what I've discovered? If a man drinks Coca-Cola, he's going to thirst again. But if Jesus was honest when he said in John 14, whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst, but that water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. If you do not know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, let me challenge you tonight. Give your heart to Christ. It's the real thing. It'll change your life. I said this morning, you don't have to go to heaven. And you don't have to go to hell, but you're not going to stay here. And I challenge you tonight, as our pastor comes, if you do not know Christ as your Savior, please tonight, with every head bowed, every eye closed. Now, I won't embarrass you, I promise you, but who would say, Pastor, tonight, I do not know for sure if I died, I'd go to heaven, but I sure would like to know that. Is there anyone at all that would say, would you pray for me?
I promise you, I won't embarrass you. I just want to pray for you. Would you slip your hand up? I know it's Sunday night. I know, but who would say, I need Jesus? Anyone at all? Anyone at all? Who would say this? Pastor, I've watched what you're talking about. I've watched good men come and go. And if God would help me, I sure would like to help pastors stay in the fight. And I'm going to pray with you. If you would do that, would you slip your hand up? Just slip it up. Amen. 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 Father, we love you. We thank you for what you're going to do tonight. And your spirit work as they cast their votes for missions. Tonight, it may be the vote that they cast that their giving will touch the lives of a ministry that will still be here when the trumpet sounds. All because they cared. We pray in Jesus' name. Pastor. You can stand to your feet tonight with heads bowed and eyes closed. If the Lord has touched you, we encourage you to come forward at this time and uh, respond. Maybe you'd like to cast your vote into the globe. You haven't had a chance to do that yet today. May I encourage you to do that as well. Maybe you want to follow Lord in baptism tonight or uh, interested in church membership. We'd love to talk to you. May I encourage you to respond to the messages today as God would have you to as the piano plays. Our desire is just to see the gospel shared all over the world. We've been a church historically that's done that, and may we continue to do that tonight. May we continue to respond to what God has. As the piano plays tonight, may I encourage you to do what God would have you do with the message and with the emphasis we've had today. God bless you. You may be seated. We have Nicholas DeCarteret, and he's up getting change. He's going to be getting baptized uh, tonight, so we're excited about that. And his dad got baptized a few weeks ago, and just excited about that. And so I hope you'll uh, be ready for that in just a few minutes. We do have a video we want to share with you. And Brother Ricardo, I wanted to see if you had another song. Do you? Is that okay if he sings one more song tonight? And... Uh, you want to get ready for that, and, uh, and then let's show that uh, video, and we'll have them sing one more time tonight. Don't miss the next Lady Service Ministry meeting on Wednesday, October 18th from 1 to 3 p.m. at the Forest Creek Park Lodge. There will be a potluck lunch, so bring a dish to share, and we'll have a short devotion as well as a drawing for door prizes. Come join us as we work together to equip, encourage, and extend the work of Grandview. 
The church office is preparing the 2024 personal tithing envelopes for our members. Please help us in staying up to date with our giving envelopes by stopping by the welcome desk to let us know if you would like to receive a set of 2024 personal tithing envelopes, or if you have received them in the past and would like to opt out due to online giving. If we do not hear from you by October 29th, we will mark your preference as it was last year. Trunk or Treat is right around the corner on October 29th at 5 p.m. Join us for the special community event we host right here in the Grandview parking lot. There will be free candy for all in attendance and plenty of games and activities for you to enjoy, as well as a raffle for two fire pits and a Fred Meyer gift card. If you would like to donate candy or interested in decorating your vehicle for Trunk or Treat, please sign up at the welcome desk or see Derek Vestal. We are looking for a few more volunteers to help keep our buildings clean. Some basic needs involve vacuuming, dusting, cleaning bathrooms, and more. If you would consider helping on a monthly, weekly, or maybe once a year, please see Mrs. Vessel or sign up at the welcome desk. If this is your first or second time here, we want to answer your questions and get to know you. Please fill out the connect card in the pew in front of you and bring it to guest services as you exit the auditorium. We would love to meet you, and you will receive a gift card. Have a great week, and we'll see you Wednesday night at 7 p.m. Out my days, life carried me along. In my soul, I yearned to follow God, but knew I'd never be so strong. I looked hard at this world to learn how heaven. Could be gained. Just to end where I began, where human efforts is all in vain. Were it not for grace, I can tell you. Down some pointless road to nowhere. 
With my salvation up to me, I know how that would go. All the battles I would face, forever running but losing the race, were it not for grace. So here is all my praise, expressed with all my heart, offered to the friend who took my place, and ran the course I couldn't even start. And when he saw in full just how much his love would cost, he still went the final mile between me and heaven so I would not be lost. Were it not for grace, no sé donde estaría hoy, caminando pero sin rumbo, sin encontrar mi salvación, como seguir así, tendría que morir. Siempre corriendo, mas sin ganar, sin su gracia en mí. Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that will pardon and cleanse with tell you where I'd be, wandering down some pointless road to nowhere, with my salvation up to me, I know how that would go, all the battles I would face, all the battles I would face, forever running, but losing the race. Were it not for grace, forever running, but losing the race, were it not for grace. Well, I know it was a little longer tonight, but it was worth it. Amen. And praise Lord for the great day God gave us. I do believe there's a teen activity right afterwards as well. And so God bless you. We sure do love you. Appreciate you. Have a great evening. You are dismissed. Mm-hmm.